Are you familiar with the, uh, the phrase to man up? If someone says you need to man up, you familiar with that phrase? In our politically correct society, today we say to human up. Texas, they say to cowboy up. And when someone says to man up or cowboy up, what they're saying is it's time to take a stand. It's time to uh, bow your back up a little bit. And to be a man or to be a woman and to do what you need to do. This morning in 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to see a call to man up. We've just finished 1 Timothy. And now we're entering 2 Timothy. And 2 Timothy is uh, it's an interesting book for a lot of reasons. One, scholars believe it's the last letter that Paul wrote before he died. He uh, He's in prison in Rome. We believe this was his second imprisonment at the time. He had been in prison earlier under house arrest, and he uh, was let go, was was released, and he's been rearrested. He is at an infamous prison called the Maritime Prison, Maritime Prison, and he is chained to a guard 24 hours a day. He is waiting, really, to be executed. We believe he was beheaded uh, under Nero the Emperor Nero, who was an evil creep. And so it's Paul's swan song. And you see this come out in, um, uh, in some of the passion of things he says even this morning. And he's writing to Timothy again, obviously. First Timothy was to Timothy. Second Timothy is to Timothy. Timothy is the pastor at Ephesus. Ephesus is a, a difficult place. It's a wealthy place, a metropolitan place, an immoral place. Timothy is not an older guy, and he has problems with people in his church being difficult. He has persecutions. I mean, Christians are dying uh, at this time in in this part of the world. And he's timid by nature, so it's tough. Things are hard. And so it's in this backdrop that we enter these four chapters in this first chapter this morning. And the first thing I want to ask you today, uh, do you have any fears? Do you have... Do you have some fears that you're struggling with? In, in chapter 1, verse 6, it begins and it says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which kind of implied that he wasn't using his gifts as he should have maybe, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And very first part of verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, of cowardness. God has not given us that. Timothy, we again, we, we know kind of through First and Second Timothy, he is timid by nature. He is apparently not super aggressive. He's not, uh, not a domineering personality. And, and he's worried, no doubt, he's worried about suffering for the faith. We believe that he was eventually, was killed for being a Christian and a Christian minister. Paul is in prison, chained to a guard, awaiting uh, sentencing and almost certain death at this time. These guys had some reasons to be, uh, be afraid. They, they had some fears. Timothy certainly was struggling with some of that. What about the people in his church who didn't like him? What about the false teaching that was going around in his church that he was trying to defy. And plus, was he going to get stuck with a sword by some Roman soldier uh, outside a church someday? You have some fears too, don't you? Don't you? Someone said years ago, two people don't have fears. 
Liars or lunatics. <laughs> and that's true. Anyone who says, I don't have a fear, is either crazy or they're being dishonest. You have some things that you struggle with. I want to read you a list I saw this week of uh, famous people. Most of these are stars or they're singers in America. Some of their fears that they struggle with. Billy Bob Thornton. You know who Billy Bob is? Billy Bob is, has the fear of antique furniture. Have you ever heard of that fear before? I get creeped out. I can't breathe and can't eat around it. Now, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make fun of these things. It's kind of interesting. Uh, Billy Bob also has a fear of bold colors. This shirt would put him in hives, I guess. Uh, fear of clowns. Uh, Johnny Depp and P. Diddy Combs. Uh, fear of clowns. I, th- these are two of my favorite. Fear of pigs. Orlando Bloom. Bacon. Ah! Fear of cows, country singer Lyle Lovett. Folks, let me tell you, if your child is afraid of pigs and cows, you've got to move to New York City, amen? You will not make it in the South. I mean, you just won't, won't make it. Uh, fear of butterflies, Nicole Kidman. Now, I don't consider these abnormal. Fear of snakes and sharks, Justin Timberlake. How many of you would fall into that category? Fear of scary noises, rock star Sheryl Crow. Now, by definition, if a noise is scary, shouldn't it scare you? I mean, fear of scary noise. Well, yeah, everybody's afraid of scary noises. Fear of indoor plants, Christina Ricci. Uh, fear of re- revolving doors, Matthew McConaughey. Now, uh, fear of monsters under the bed. How many of you struggle with that at one time? When I was a kid, I mean, probably in college, I looked under the bed every night. You know, just in case. I went, I'd seen too many scary movies. Uh, Fear of Monsters Under the Bed, Jennifer Love Hewitt. Now, how many of you know who Woody Allen is? Woody Allen got in trouble a few years ago for some creepy behavior that we don't have time to go into now. You may sympathize with Woody more when you hear about his phobias. Woody is a, has a fear of insects, fear of sunshine, fear of dogs, fear of deer. He would make a terrible redneck, wouldn't he? Fear of children. Fear of heights, fear of small rooms, and fear of crowds. Woody has some phobias, doesn't he? And so do you. You and I have some fears. You have some concerns. Some of you, it's a fear of disease. It's a fear of losing your income or your job. A lot of them, and listen, it's not just kids. You fear what other people think about you. You fear about your your reputation, your name. We fear more of those than we do about our character, unfortunately, a lot of times. But we have fears. But I want to tell you something fantastic this morning. God makes available some great internal resources. God has made some tremendous internal resources available for us. You have fears. But God says, listen, in the midst of whatever it is you're struggling with today, I have got some things that can help you if you will let them. In verse 7, listen to what it says. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. Now, when he talked about the spirit here, the spirit of timidity, uh, God has not given us this. Some scholars debate whether he's talking about the Holy Spirit or what the Holy Spirit does in us. Let me just say this. This verse is for Christians. So if you're not a Christian, you need to become one this morning. It only really applies to Christians. 
But when you become a Christian, it's either one of the two things. It's either the Holy Spirit in you does this, or it's the Holy Spirit in you infusing and empowering your spirit with these wonderful, wonderful qualities. That's good stuff, isn't it? God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and a sound mind. Let's look at these things and see what he's talking about. Here's the first thing, courage. God has given us courage. God has not given us a spirit of timidity, of of cowardice. Again, Timothy's facing tough times. Opposition outside, opposition inside, persecution. He's, He's timid. Paul's in prison. Chained to a guard 24 hours a day. Nero is the emperor. He got out of prison once. He's probably almost certain that he's going to die this time. These are, listen, these are not guys sitting in the library writing something to you and me saying, we know how you feel. In other words, they're not our politicians in Washington. These are guys in the game. These are guys in the middle of life. Paul's writing from a nasty, grimy dungeon. Timothy's probably first reading this by candlelight, going, "What? And how am I going to make it? And he says, Timothy, the Spirit of God in you is not a spirit of timidity, but it's a spirit of courage. God is giving you, if you'll turn Him loose... God has given you courage to face whatever it is that you're going to face. Guys, listen to this. In the New Testament, the, the word Holy Spirit, the Greek word is paraclete. And here's the context outside of the Bible. Paraclete was used often as. Let's say Wayne and I are, are Greek soldiers, Greek soldiers always went into battle in pairs. Your partner was called the paraclete. And so when you went into battle, your partner stuck with you side by side. And when you turned and when your back was vulnerable, your side was vulnerable, you're fighting someone over here, you're obviously worried about someone sticking a spear in your back or in your spine. Your paraclete had your back. He was your partner warrior. God's saying, listen, if you're a Christian, if you're not one, become one. If you're one, you've got the Holy Spirit in you. He is the paraclete. He is your warrior partner. He's going to be with you every single step of the way. You don't have to live a life racked and wrecked by fear if you'll turn God loose in your life. Remember, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is being afraid and going ahead anyway. Did you get that? Okay, they're having children's church over there. Let's be honest. If you men knew today you had to go fight a first grade boy, would you be afraid? Man, I would be on my A game. Bring him on. If you knew you had to go over to Tech's locker room to fight a football player this afternoon, how many of you would be nervous? Fear is not, courage is not, no fear, it's being afraid and going ahead. Anyway, God says, listen, I'm giving you the spirit of courage, not timidity. 
Then he gives us, he says another thing. He says, not only do I give you that, I give you the, the spirit of power. The spirit of power. In verse 7 it says, For God has not given us the spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power. That biblical word power is dynamos, which we get our English word dynamite from. And it literally means that there's power inherent in something. Folks, if you've got a stick of dynamite and a way to ignite it, there's power in that stick of dynamite, correct? I mean, it's inherent in that stick of dynamite. God says, listen, when you became a Christian, I, became, I came to live inside of you. Now, most of us have the Holy Spirit in our big toe today. God says, turn him loose. How do you turn him loose? You live a surrendered life. You get your sins right with God. You get the junk out of your heart and your life. And you daily surrender to God and you turn him loose. And when you turn him loose, the spirit of God in us is not a spirit of cowardness. It's a spirit of courage. It's not a spirit of weakness. It's a spirit of power. Man, that's good stuff, isn't it? For God has not given us the spirit of weakness and timidity, but a spirit of power. Then strangely, he adds two other words that he gives us here. The first is love. Not only a spirit of, uh, not of, uh, of courage and of power, but also of love. This is that great biblical word, agape love. Greek word which meant that you choose to love someone. It's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's, it's saying, I'm going to choose to be kind and nice to someone. And I'm going to talk more about this in just a second, but power and courage need to be tempered. One of the ways they're tempered is by love. Listen, if God lives in you and he's controlling you, love is evident in you. In, in the Psychological Journal of Science this week, they, they said they may have found a kindness gene. How many of you know someone who may be lacking in the kindness gene? <laughs> you know, when I read that, I said, you know, that, that's neat. Uh, I wonder if you can get injections. You know, I need, I need about eight more uh, milli, milligrams or whatever of kindness. Uh, but, you know, I, I know this, whether that's true or not. I know this. I know when God comes to live inside of you, he injects the kindness gene in you. You see, people who aren't loving or aren't kind are lost on their way to hell or they're far from God. God says, listen, I'm, I'm giving you, here's three things right now that are available to you if you're a Christian or if you'll become one. That you need them in elementary school, you need them in junior high school, you need them in high school. All you adults out here, we need a double dose of these things. God says, I've given you courage. I've given you power. And I've given you love. And he gives one more word, and that's self-control. For God has given us the spirit of self-control. It's interesting, in the King James, it uses the word of sound mind, or the phrase of sound mind. And, and this concept here of self-control means a rational, reasonable manner. In other words, you've got power and you've got courage and you, you, you smooth that out with love, and, and self-control focuses that. What would happen if you put a bull in a, in a china store? A bull has courage and power, correct? What would a bull do in a china store? It would destroy everything. A tornado has power, doesn't it? And 
You know, a tornado is not a coward, is it? I mean, it'll hit your house or my house or the White House. It's indifferent. But a tornado and a bull probably lack the love and the control. And see, God says, I don't want you running rough over people. I don't want you, I don't want you to be a bull in a china shop or a tornado. I want you, I want you to have power and I want you to have courage, but I want those things tempered with love and unselfishness. And, and I want them to be controlled and focused. There should be a bold, courageous, yet loving and focusedness about our lives. And here's what I want to challenge you with big time this morning. I want to challenge you to live rightly and to live boldly. I want to challenge you today to understand you and I have available to us. That doesn't mean we're going to use it doesn't mean we've turned God loose in our life. But we have available to us tremendous resources in the Spirit of God in us. To meet meet anything we're going to face at junior high school, high school, college, or at the nursing home, we've got the resources available. Now, this would apply to a thousand things. I want to apply it to two from the text today. Here's the first thing. Man, share Christ proudly. Now, if you're taking notes, right above that share, live your Christianity. Live and share your Christianity proudly. In verse 8, listen to what it says. Do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord. I wonder, I wonder how many of us today are ashamed to testify about our Lord. Don't be ashamed of me either, Paul says. But join with me in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us in verse 9 through 12. And called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of what He has done. Because of His purpose and grace. The grace that was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But now it has been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Suffering in verse 12, because he's fallen Christ. Yet I'm not ashamed, because I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced he is able to guard what I have trusted him through that day. Paul is chained to a Roman soldier. He's in a horrible prison. Nero is a creep and a zero. And he's going to die. And here's what he's saying. I'm proud of Jesus Christ. By the way, that's why he's in prison. Because there's testimony of Jesus Christ. Timothy is pastor in Ephesus. Ephesus is a Greek city. Christianity is not popular at all. It's not like being in Ruston where you almost need to go to a church. Church on every corner. Not that way at all. 
And Timothy's preaching that Jesus Christ was crucified, and then he came back to life. That sounds like a ghost story. The Greek people believed that the body was evil, the mind and the spirit was good, and for them to think of a dead person coming back to life was ridiculous, and that's what he's preaching. People in his church aren't rallying around him. He's being persecuted, false teachers. Here's what Paul says, Timothy, Timothy, keep telling them about Jesus. Keep living for Jesus. Keep sharing your faith. I want to ask you this morning, how bold are we for Jesus Christ? When was the last time you told somebody at school or at work, hey, I'm a Christian. By the way, you need to live it too, because if you tell them that and you don't, really a bad reflection on all of us. When was the last time you said, I'm not going to participate in something? And when they pressed you on it, you said, well, because I'm a Christian. When was the last time you just invited someone to church? You know, that's such a simple thing. All you, if you'll invite them and bring them here, we'll do all the work once you get them here. You can sleep. Hopefully not, but Do you pray when you go out to eat at a meal? Now, I know sometimes you forget. I'm a preacher. We always pray at meals when we go out in public. But inevitably, one out of three times, somebody's got food in their mouth when we start to pray. And they mumble the words, I forgot. I'm not saying when you're with a group of 25 that you need to say, hey, 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 let's pray right now. Bow your head and pray. You know why we don't do it sometimes? Because we're, we're ashamed. We're ashamed of Jesus. Several years ago, it's about 15 or 16 years ago, a man I knew was asked to pray at a public event. There'll be all kinds of people there, Christians, non-Christians, people of different faiths. And he was nervous. He didn't want to offend anybody with his prayer. And he talked to, he talked to a minister he knew. And the minister told him how he could pray and not be offensive. And he said, well, when you get up, you don't say God, you just say Father. And when you close, you don't say in Jesus' name, you just say in his name, amen. What a chicken. Folks, I'm going to warn you, if you ask me to come pray and you tell me not to pray in Jesus' name, I'm not coming. Because if I'm not praying to Jesus... I'm just giving you a religious talk. Now, folks, don't be be obnoxious for God. Have you ever known anybody obnoxious for God? Yes, you have. Or you've seen it. Occasionally, there'll be somebody come on text campus with a bullhorn saying, everybody's going to hell that goes to tech. You've, You've heard or seen those people. That's obnoxious for God. And ineffective. But folks, if being loving and sincere and gentle and courageous offends somebody, let it offend them. Be proud of Jesus Christ. Now here's another thing he says. Stand not only for Jesus proudly, but stand for others proudly. And this is going to make sense when we look at the text. 
And it's just as much in the Bible as what we just read. In verse 8, don't be ashamed to testify about our Lord. But look what else Paul says. Hey, don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of me, the prisoner. In verse 15 through 18, if you, if you read these, go home tonight and read these verses. And remember, Paul is fixing to die. This is his last letter. You, 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 he almost had to be tearing up when he wrote this. You know that everyone in the province of Asia, this is not the continent of Asia, this is Asia Minor, has deserted me. Including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. Say that five times real fast. Fred, Barney, and Bill would have been great, wouldn't it there? Because he has often refreshed me. Onesiphorus means refreshing. And he was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from him on that day. You know how very well and how many ways he has helped me. Guys, Paul spent three years in Asia Minor. He won people to the Lord. He baptized them. He married them. He discipled them. He probably did funerals. He loved them. He was there in the hard times. Listen now. Then he goes to prison for preaching Jesus. And everybody except one person named abandons him. And you can almost sense the heartache and the heartbreak in him, thinking, I poured my life into so many of these people. And when I needed them, where were they? Those first two guys with the weird names, the only time they're mentioned in the Bible is here. And they get this report of being creeps. And then he mentions that other guy. We'll call him Big O. And he says, Big O was there for me. One thing I want you to see is a map of the ancient world where they lived. Because Paul said, Big O came from Ephesus to Rome to see me. There's Ephesus right there. Now, as the crow flies, now, and the crow, as in American Airlines, didn't fly then, that's about twelve to 1,400 miles at least. But you can imagine in a day when you didn't have trains or cars or buses, and you were going to have to walk a lot and then jump a ship and walk a lot, how long it would have taken. But he said, here's what Onesiphorus did. He came from Ephesus to Rome to see me. And he searched hard to find me. Folks, can you imagine showing up in a city of a million people? I don't know how big Rome was then. It was probably around a million. And you didn't have Google, and you didn't have the white pages, and you didn't have uh, the prison directory listed somewhere, how to find an inmate. I mean, we'd just type... Apostle, comma, Paul, Roman prisoner, and it, we'd get it in five seconds or be upset. But Paul said, 
He searched for me till he found me. Now, here's something interesting. Some people believe that this guy was actually killed for the contact he made with Paul. Because to go associate yourself with a guy in a Roman dungeon chained to a guard was to put yourself in great peril. And Paul said that he did this for me. I want to ask you this morning, are you standing up for the people in your life? Are you a friend? Let me give you an example. Or let me give you a challenge. The next time, the next time you're with a group of people and they start talking about how bad the coaches are, and the coaches aren't there to defend themselves, why don't you tell them to stop? Or when they start talking about how bad the teachers are, or that businessman is, or God forbid, even your ministers, why don't you tell them to stop? You know why we don't tell them to stop? Because we're chickens. Let me tell you something. If you lose a friend because you call them out for slandering somebody when they're not there, you need to lose that friend. I don't know who said this, but it's such a great quote. It was someone who had gone through hard times, and they made this statement. They said that during my struggles, it was not the wounds from my enemies that hurt me the most. It was the silence of my friends. I think that's what Paul was saying. I'm fixing to die. I gave everything I could to those people. And they all abandoned me in the end, except one. Folks, God has given you a spirit. God's given you a spirit that can stand up, that can be courageous, that can be powerful, and can do it in a loving and controlled way. I love another quote that says, it's not what lies before us or what lies behind us that matters the most. It's what lies in us if we're Christians. And that's the Spirit of God. You've got the Spirit of God in you. A spirit of power and courage and love and control. Let Him loose and live your life proudly and boldly for God. Let's pray. If you're a Christian, I would just uh, challenge you to think about these verses and what God's saying to your heart today. What you need to do. If you're not a Christian or you're unsure, right where you're standing or sitting, Pray with me and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. I believe you're God's Son who died for me. And I ask you now to come into my heart, Jesus. And I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. Let me have your attention just for a moment.
just a second, we're going to stand. And I want to challenge you to respond to Christ. Maybe you just prayed and asked Jesus into your heart. Maybe you're ready to do that. Would you come today and talk to one of these ministers? Get the power of God in your life this morning if you don't have it. Maybe you'd like to join the church this morning. One way you can do that is by coming in a moment. Ministers will be down here. We can help you with that. We would love for you to do that this morning. Maybe you'd like to just come and pray at the altar or pray with a minister. Christians, certainly, whether it's where you're standing or at the altar, you need to say to God, God, let me turn you loose in my life. Let your power and your courage and your love and your discipline come out in my life. And God, help me to be the bold person that you've called me to be. Let's stand. And as God leads you this morning, respond to him today.